0: Uh, wow, it's a privilege to be here. Uh, thank you, uh, Jeff and Troy, for allowing me to come. You know, it's not lost on me. I don't think I ever spoke here while Jeff was the pastor, Troy, so thank you. That might be, that might be because we've been friends for so long and he knows me well. You, you know, I may mess this up. Uh, it's great to be here. It's great to be a part of this incredibly important time in your church, right? I, I, would, I would argue uh, that there's no more important time in the year than, than these few days uh, because you're talking about the thing that's closest to God's heart. Amen? That's God's mission to the world. Uh, and so this is an incredibly important time, and we're going to talk about time uh, over the next couple of days and, and what time it is and where we are in time, and, and our need to understand that. And I hope that's not offensive to you this morning, uh, being it's Time Change Sunday. Don't you hate Time Change Sunday? Especially in the spring. I mean, it just stinks. You lose a, an hour of sleep. I'm coming out of the central time zone, uh, so I lost a couple of hours of sleep. And uh, man, I, the older I get, the, the worse that gets, right? I mean, uh, it's tough to, to not get my sleep. I need it. Uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm suffering from that a little bit. Some of you maybe this morning showed up about 10 o'clock looking forward to hearing some, from some missionaries and found out, wow, I missed it. Right? I missed out because you didn't understand the time. You didn't have the time right, you didn't, you didn't uh, spring forward, uh, and so you missed out on hearing from some of God's most choice servants today, All uh, right, If you don't get the time right, you miss out on stuff. We, uh, As Jeff said a moment ago, I, I was in North Georgia, just north of Atlanta, pastoring for a while, and my wife and I, we moved back to Decatur about three years ago. And it's a time change. It's an hour time change. You wouldn't think that's too significant, but uh, uh, right after we arrived there, my wife was welcomed by the lo- local law enforcement. Uh, they had for her a special welcome packet, and uh, they invited her to come to a government meeting uh, at a set time. And what I mean by that was she was speeding, got a ticket, and was summoned to court. Uh, and, and the day that she was summoned to court, she you know we're in the process of moving and back and forth between Atlanta and and Decatur, and uh, uh, the, the day that she was summoned to court, she was coming back from Atlanta, and something happened to her phone, and as she crossed over the timeline, it didn't change. And so she was at the meeting at the wrong time. And I don't know if you know this or not, but they frown on that. Uh, they really expect you to be prompt. They, they expect you to show up. And so, you know, not knowing what time it is, it is really detrimental. You can miss out on some stuff. You can receive some penalties. Some tough things can come your way if you don't know what time it is. It matters what time it is, right? Uh, it is important for us to know, and, and that's just a little microcosm of, of of all of eternity and knowing where we are in time. It's important that we, the body of Christ, born again believers. Know what time it is. Know where we are in time. I, back in the, the Old Testament, the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 12, there's, there's these, uh, one of the tribes of Israel, the sons of the children of Issachar, the sons of Issachar. The Bible says they had understanding of the times, so they understood what time it was, and they knew what Israel ought to do. You know, what time it is determines what we do. Uh, it determines how we go about the things that we do. So it's important for us to know what time it is. And so over the next couple of days, I want us to talk about what time it is. This morning, just very plainly, where are we in time? What, what's going on, and, and how do we know where we're at in time? And then tomorrow we'll talk about what we ought to do about that. As an individual, there's some things that I ought to be doing based on what time it is, and then we'll talk on Tuesday night about what we ought to do collectively. So even as a church, collectively, there's some things that we ought to be doing Based on what time it is. And I want us to do this from the book of Thessalonians. So if you want to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, we're going to, uh, to spend our time together the next couple of days uh, there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And there's a lot going on, right, with those guys. They, uh, they got lots of questions. Lots of questions in Thessalonians with the Thessalonians and uh, there's things that are going on. You know, they've been believers long enough now that some folks have died uh, and, and they got questions about what happened with them. And uh, they, uh, there, There's others that have been martyred and that's, that's caused some, some question for them. And, and compounding the problem is they've got some false teachers that have come and taught that there is no resurrection. Uh, and so they've they've struggled uh, with that. They've denied the resurrection of Christ, they've denied the resurrection uh, of the believer, the rapture of the church, the blessed hope of the church. They've said that, that wasn't really a reality. And so there's there's all these questions. And so Paul writes this letter. He's he started this church, and now he's responding to these questions. He's writing a letter to to communicate. And in chapter 4, if we were to, to read that, we would find that he deals with this issue uh, of what's happened to these believers who have died. And he, he reaffirms to them some truths that he had taught them. He reminds them that, that those who die in Christ, right, they're going to be resurrected from the grave. And those of us who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, we're going to be caught away. There is the reality of the catching away of the bride of Christ. Uh, and so he he's reaffirming those things in chapter 4 and, and, and helping them to understand that beautiful picture of that in the Old Testament. Enoch is a, a type of the local New Testament church. He was not, for God took him. And so uh, he, he gives them that affirmation, but there's a natural question, and, and it's the question, it's the age-old question, right? All of mankind, all of humanity uh, wants to know when, right? Even as believers in Jesus Christ, I mean, we know Christ is coming, we... we, we understand this we have a knowledge of it we know uh, of those truths and and the question that comes is when and so Paul in chapter 5 I I believe is anticipating that question and uh, men have tried for years to answer it and so he gives some answer to the question it's it's been a while right Uh, we've for 2,000 years now have been looking for the coming of Jesus Christ and 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 it's been so long that some people have reduced this thing to, to myth and folklore and kind of treat it as if it's just a mythological story and something that's never going to happen. It's just a legend and there's other people you know who've resorted to wild speculation. I looked it up the other day, there's literally hundreds of predictions that, that have come and gone of, of when the Lord would come, when would be that, that day that the church would be raptured away. People who predict a day and an hour. And so there's, there's wild speculation on one side. There's, there's on the other side those who, who kind of have just given it up and treat it like it's a myth. And, and obviously the answer's somewhere in the middle. Uh, there, there are some things that we should know, some things that we should know. Uh, the disciples of Jesus Christ, the apostles, just before Jesus ascends, you know, that's the last question they ask him. Wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus kind of gives a, a nebulous answer to them. It's not for you to know the times and the seasons, Right? Uh, he says, uh, and it's just 40 days from, from the resurrection, uh, he's about to ascend back to the Father. And he says, at this time, it's not really for you to know the times and the seasons. But that's, that's, a, that's spoken in a moment in time to a specific group of people, right? Uh, that, that was spoken to them at that moment. At, at that time, Israel still had some options on the table. There was still the opportunity that they could receive the kingdom. Uh, the kingdom could have been restored to them much sooner than it was. And when Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians, it's some 30 years later and the Jews have rejected the Messiah for the final time. And so Paul's writing saying, we, we ought to understand some things about the times and the seasons. Uh, we, we, we ought to know what's going on. We ought to know where we are in time. And because we know where we are in time, we ought to know what we ought to do. So I want us to look this morning at the first five verses. We'll continue through chapter five as we go along uh, over the next couple of days. But let's start with, uh, with the first five verses. 1 Thessalonians chapter five, read with me if you would. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. You are not of the night nor of the darkness. So when Jesus came the first time. It, it had been a long time. There had been the promise of the Messiah that would come. And right a long period of time has, has spanned. And, and again, not unlike today, the religious leaders of the day had kind of fallen asleep on this thing. They had kind of begun to, to treat it as, as a doubt. They, they knew that uh, he was coming, but they'd stopped believing that he was coming. In fact, it's amazing to me the story of, uh, of the wise men when they come into Jerusalem, right? And they're looking for, where is he born, king of the Jews? You know, the wise men come and they, they ask the question. Herod hears the question and he, he refers them to the scribes, right, the religious leaders. And, and they come and they answer the question very explicitly. Oh, he's born in Bethlehem of Judea. Uh, that's where he'll be born. Uh, and uh, they, they have the answer to the question and the wise men go on their way to Bethlehem. And what, what, what do the religious leaders do? They just go right back to their lives. They just go right back to doing what they were doing. They, they knew the answers, but they didn't really believe it. They knew it in their heads, but they didn't really believe in the reality of the coming of the Messiah. And I would suggest we're not that different from them. There's a lot of us like that today. You know, you're in a church that has a long history of teaching the Bible and loving the Word of God, and and, and we've been instructed in the things of the Lord, and and, and beyond just the surface level, we've gone into the deep things of God. You've you've got a long history of that, Pastor Mark, and and coming through with Jeff, and God giving you Troy, and you know, let me just stop and say for a second, man, you're blessed. Amen? Be grateful for that, And, and, and I don't, you know, if you've not been outside of this church, you probably don't realize how rare that is. Uh, and also how awesome it is that that you have that wonderful uh, heritage of it. You've been taught the Word of God, and we know the truth. We know it in our heads. I think sometimes we fail to believe it such that it impacts how that we live our lives, Uh, that that we really truly allow it to have an impact on us. And and that's what's going on in Thessalonica. It it, it seems there's there's some things that they know, and so I'm just if I'm anything I'm simple uh, I'm going to give you a couple simple truths today one is what what is it that they did know right we're going to talk about what they did know because Paul said there's some things that you know perfectly there's some things that that I've taught you there's some things that you know perfectly and then there's some things that you should know and, and I think the same's true for us today we could put ourselves right here into this text and we could recognize that that there's some things that we know, but, but there's also some things that we should know. And uh, So the first thing that, that he says that they know perfectly, they know perfectly that the day of the Lord's coming. Uh, that's something that they understood. They, they were saved out of Judaism, right? When Paul comes to Thessalonica, he de- it's his custom, he goes into the synagogue, and he's, he's preaching Jesus Christ in the synagogue, and it always had an incredible effect, right? <laughs> when Jesus came in, or when Paul came into the synagogue and he preaches Jesus, you know, about half the crowd would say, wow, we believe that. Uh, that's an incredible truth. We want to follow you. And about uh, and the other half of the crowd said, you know, let's get some stones and kill this guy, right? Uh, and so uh, that, that's happened in Thessalonica. And so they have this background in the Old Testament. And from their background in the Old Testament, they knew about the day of the Lord. Uh, they knew what that event was. Now, I want to make sure that we understand. I think we do. But just in case somebody slipped in this morning and doesn't understand, Paul's talking about the rapture in chapter 4. That's what happens to the the believers in Jesus Christ, right? So any day now, Jesus Christ is going to step out of heaven, just as it's described in chapter 4. He's going to step out under the clouds, and he's going to say, come up hither. And the dead in Christ will rise first, right? They're going to come forth from the grave, and we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up. And we're going to go be with the Lord. Uh, and then the, the, the tribulation will, will come to the earth, and God's going to uh, refine Israel and restore Israel. Uh, and then at the end of that, the, the day of the Lord, Jesus Christ is going to come, and he's going to return to the earth. Uh, and he's going to set his foot on the Mount of Olives, and he's going to establish his kingdom. And that's the event. And, and when, when you talk about when... It requires that we make that transition. I would submit that that's the reason he makes the transition because now he's going to talk about timing. He talked about the event of the rapture, but when he talks about timing, you've got to go to Israel. Because Israel is God's timepiece, and God is specific when he deals with Israel. Uh, he's specific about timing with Israel, and so he's talking about this event, the day of the Lord. Now, there's some people who would say, that doesn't matter to me. I, I, you know, he, he said, you have no need that I write unto you. So does, he, he didn't say you don't need to know about it. He said, you have no need that I write unto you because you know perfectly about it. You understand it. You have an understanding from the Old Testament scriptures. And, and so throughout the Old Testament, this, this phrase, and it's one of the amazing things about the Bible. Practically every Old Testament prophet talks about the day of the Lord. It is a key phrase in your Bible, the training that, that many of you have been through. You've learned that. It's a, a key phrase. You've probably marked it in your Bible. You notice it as you're reading. It puts you in the context of what you're reading. I mean, if you're reading, there's some passages in your notes this morning. I'm not going to take time to go to all those references. They're there for you, but you can read it in Isaiah. the Isaiah the prophet over and over again talks about the day of the Lord. Ezekiel talks about the day of the Lord. Joel uh, talks about the day of the Lord and the minor prophets. I'm going to read verse 15. He says, uh, chapter 1 verse 15 alas for the day for the day of the lord is at hand and as the destruction from the almighty shall it come chapter 2 verse 1 he says blow the trumpet in zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain let all the inhabitants of the earth tremble for the day of the lord cometh for it is nigh at hand chapter 3 he goes on the same subject he says multitudes multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the lord is near in the valley of decision and he's He's referencing this same thing that Paul's talking about. Isn't it amazing? Does it amaze you? That all of these Old Testament prophets use the same phrases right they're, they're consistent in the phrases and the way that they refer to these things we'll see even the illustrations of it they, they use the same kinds of phrases. not like they got together on some cosmic island somewhere you know in time and talked about it and said okay now we need to come up with a marketing campaign and we're going to just decide how that we're going to present this to the folks so that it can be consistent no it's it's evidence that God authored this book No man authored this book. This is God is the author. And he's consistently repeating this same phrase over and over again. And as Joel talks about that in chapter 3, verse 14, and he uses that that phraseology, the the day of the Lord, he talks about there being multitudes and multitudes, and certainly there's a, a doctrinal application to that. But as we're gathered here to talk about reaching the world with the gospel and taking the gospel to people who've never heard, there are certainly today, more than there's ever been before, multitudes are in the valley of decision. There are multitudes of people who need to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I hope that you connect with the reality that what you do over the next 48 hours has a significant impact on that. What you do, I I love what we heard early this morning. I'm just a normal guy. I'm just a normal guy that God picked up uh, out of Texas and sent to a special place to communicate the message of the gospel. That's true of all of us, right? God has a plan for every one of us, and he wants to use all of us to make an impact on those multitudes who are in the valley of decision that need to be reached with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they knew about the day of the Lord. They knew, uh, as the scriptures teach, that it's a day that that God is going to return and establish his kingdom. And he's he's coming in judgment. They knew that that day began at night. They knew that he was coming as a thief in the night. That's what it says in verse number 2. You know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. They knew that the day of the Lord, like every other day, begins in darkness. It's a day that begins in darkness. That seems a little crazy to us in our Western culture, Right? Uh, we think about the day beginning uh, at the dawn of the day, but, but in the Jewish day begins at 6 p.m., right? Uh, it begins at night, and, and, and you know, if we, if we just took a minute to think about it, we would recognize that our day begins at night as well, right? Uh, it begins at midnight, uh, and so the day always begins at night, but, the, but, but from the darkness, it leads to the dawning of the day, and the, the day is going to dawn, Jesus Christ said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world, and he left 2,000 years ago, he ascended, it became dark, and, and we're here today governing over the night. We're the moon and we're shining into the darkness, but there's a day coming when Jesus Christ is going to return. He's going to break through the darkness uh, and he's going to come. Malachi refers to that, Malachi chapter 4, he talks about the day cometh and it shall burn as an oven. And all the proud and all that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up saith the Lord of hosts, and it shall leave them neither root nor branch, but unto you that fear my name shall the sun, S-U-N, capital S-U-N, of righteousness arise, with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves in the stall. He's saying that it, it starts at night, but it's going to break forth to the day, and the day of the Lord is coming. Chap, verse number five of that same chapter talks about the great and the dreadful day of the Lord. That's the, the reference, and, and that, that illustration that God uses is a, an illustration that God has used all down through time. We, we should never doubt. He, he uses creation. Did anybody doubt that the sun was going to rise this morning, right? Uh, it was dark last night, uh, but the sun came up. I've been on this earth for, man, a long time, uh, about 58 years. And you know what? Without fail, every day of those 58 years, the sun has risen. Every day. Every day. God has commun- been communicating for some 6,000 years. The day's coming, uh, right? There, there, there's darkness now, but the darkness is going to go away. The light is going to come. The sun is going to arise. He's communicating with us. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 tells us that he, he uses the things of creation. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare his glory, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day into day uttereth speech, and night into night showeth knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. God is communicating his message. He's communicating his message to us. He's communicating it, certainly through the word of God, and we have the privilege of having that in our hands, but he's also communicating it through creation. The day is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. Jesus Christ is going to return. The darkness is going to give way to the light. And what he says here is he's going to come. He's going to come as a thief in the night. You know, thieves, when they come, they don't make appointments, right? Right? <laughs> They'll call you up and say, yeah, I was thinking about you know, coming over you know, about, about 12.30. You'll be asleep by then? I want to take your stuff. Right? They don't make appointments. They come suddenly. They come without notice. And Jesus says that's how he's coming. He's coming as a, a thief in a night. He's, he's coming unexpectedly, and, and he's coming suddenly. When he came the first time, they, they, they crucified him as a thief, between two thieves on a cross. And, and he's going to come as a thief. And again, that same, that same idea is repeated over and over again throughout the scriptures. You know, Paul is, is saying it here. Peter, he's, he's not the theologian that Paul was. He's an uneducated fisherman. But, but he says in 2 Peter 3.10, the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. Uh, he's coming. Uh, he's, he's coming as a, a thief in the night. They knew that perfectly. They knew that, that he would come during a time of, of peace and safety. And, uh, and that's what he says here in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.3, when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon him. And, uh, it, you know, a lot of times we think the world's just going to devolve into the place to where uh, the, that, uh, the, the Lord's going to come. But, but the time that of the coming of the Lord, the, the day of the Lord, is going to be a time of peace and safety. And, and there's certainly things going on in the world. Say, Daniel prophesied 400 years before the first coming of Jesus Christ that the Antichrist would come and be a man of peace. Uh, in fact, he says that he's going he's to conquer. By peace, How he destroy many. He's going to conquer through peace. I, I don't know if you pay attention to what's happening in the world news. It's a little discouraging. But certainly there's those opportunities right now for somebody to ra- rise to that level. And, and, the, and you see some po- people who are coming to the forefront to, to possibly be the ones uh, who would do that. He's going to come, and they knew this, they w- that he would come in a time when they say, Peace and safety. And, and, and the last thing I would say that they knew is they knew that there would be no escape. He said it's going to be as a wo- as trevelle upon a woman with child, and, and they shall not escape. Uh, he, he uses another illustration. So he said it's going, he, he's going to come. He's, it's going to be like the dawning of the day. It, it's going to be like a thief in the night. It's going to be like travel upon a woman with child. Uh, and, and, and certainly that's, that's a painful experience, right? Just expect a good feminine amen right there. Uh, that's a painful experience. Uh, and it's also an experience that, that can't be escaped, right? Uh, that, that baby's coming. Uh, there's, there's no escaping that. It's, it's going to happen. And again, it's uh, this, the same terminology. Isaiah chapter 13. Therefore uh, shall all hands be faint and every man's shall, heart shall melt. And they shall be afraid. Pains and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman in travail. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces... Shall be as flames. It's the same phrases over and over again. God's using these same things. He, he, he says, there's, you know these things, right? You know. You know about the day of the Lord. You know that he's coming as a thief in the night. You know that, that this is something that won't be escaped. You know it's going to happen during a time of, of peace and safety. And so I, I think that probably First Baptist Church knows those things, right? These are some things that, that we know and, and we would affirm at least intellectually in our heads. And we have a knowledge of all of that. Paul goes on and says that, that that's what's going to happen to them. But, but ye, brethren, verse 4, there's some things that you should know. We, brethren, are not in darkness that that they should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and children of the day. You are not of the night nor of the darkness. Paul says there's some things that you know and you've got knowledge of these things. But there's there's some things that you should know. You should, your knowledge should go beyond just... Uh, an intellectual understanding of those things, uh, that you should know that the times and the seasons, the the day of the Lord shouldn't overtake you as a thief in the night. Now, now certainly it's true. Again, I want to make sure we understand. It's true that because of the fact that we're believers in Jesus Christ, right? We're going to be coming with the Lord at the day of the Lord, right? I understand that. I know that. I'm not suggesting today that, that we're going to be around for that. We're coming with the Lord at the, at the time of the, the day of the Lord, but, but we should know the times and the seasons of that because it impacts how we live here and now. The, the, the thing that predates that, that comes before that, as we have said, is the rapture of the church. So our opportunity to reach the world, to complete the mission, to fulfill the mission that we've been given by the Lord Jesus Christ, well, it has to do with the timing of the day of the Lord because we know that the, the rapture happens first, and, and we should certainly be able to discern and to know the times and the seasons of that. It, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't overtake us as a thief in the night. It shouldn't be something that, that takes us by surprise. It shouldn't come upon us suddenly and unexpectedly. It's something that we should know, and there's a couple of reasons for that. We're not of the darkness. Aren't you grateful for that today? As a believer in Jesus Christ, I I have been taken out of darkness. When Paul's standing before Agrippa, you know, and he's questioning him about why he's doing the things that he's doing, Paul's explanation to him, his testimony to him was the call of God on his life. Verse 18 says in Acts chapter 26, to open their eyes. This is what God commissioned him to do on the road to Damascus, to open the eyes of the Gentiles, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. They may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in me. We we are no longer of the darkness, right? I've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness, and I've been placed into the kingdom of light. uh, Our brother shared this morning, I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, and all things are of God who hath reconciled me to himself. And and what comes part and parcel with that is some insight into what's happening in the world around me, right? I've got night vision goggles. We live in the night, but I'm not of the night. I can see what's happening around me. I have some discernment about the events that are happening around me, and that's based on the fact that I've been born again, right? I, I shouldn't live like the rest of the world. I shouldn't get caught off guard like the rest of the world. I should be clearly seeing what's happening. Paul, when he's explaining why we should walk worthy of the Lord to the Colossians, he says in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Wow! Oh, what an awesome privilege uh, to be taken out of darkness, to to be you ever been in a place that was just perfectly dark? I mean, completely dark, so dark you could feel it? Uh, that's that's, a, that's a, a frightening thing. You, you, you want to you be free from that. I grew up in, in North Georgia and North Georgia mountains, and uh, there's a couple of places there where you can get into some caverns uh, where there is just the total absence of light. And you go into those caverns and you turn off any, any light that you've taken with you, and it's so dark you can feel the darkness. And you, you long for the light, right? You, you long, me personally, I'm a little claustrophobic, for, so I, I long for the light of the opening of the cave, right? I want to get out of here. I don't like being under the ground. Uh, and I, I want to get out of the darkness. That's what Christ has done for us. Right? He's taken us out of the darkness and into the light. And so we should, we should be able to see and discern and to know the times and to look around us and to know what's going on because of what he's done for us. Peter said he, that we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. So now we're, we're no longer children of the night. We're children of the day. We're children of the light. We have understanding of the times. Now let me, let me, just, let me just say for a minute, I pastor a church. I've pastored for for some number of years. I was lead pastor in Carswell for about 15 years, and I've been back in Decatur for about three. And uh, man, one of the greatest burdens I I have in our church is I'm concerned for people who sit and listen to me preach every Sunday, who who are good people, who attend church regularly, but they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Uh, and, And, you know, you may be sitting here today. You may be a wonderful person. Uh, morally good uh, faithful church attender uh, and checked all the boxes except you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior you've never been you've never had that experience of being taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his dear son uh, and if, you, that, if that's you today you know these things may seem a little silly to you may seem a little foolish to you you may not see what's going on in the world around you and, and let me just say to you the, the only way that you'll ever you'll ever gain that understanding is to come out of the darkness and into the light and the way that you do that is through personal faith in Jesus Christ, right? It's not through the church. It's not through your family relationships, right? It's through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and, and I would just say to you today, in, in addition to that, there's nothing more important than that. Uh, for you today, there's nothing more important than that. Uh, so if you've never done that, man, don't be ashamed. Step out uh, and, and let God save you today. Uh, you need to come out of the darkness and into the light. But, but notice Paul not only says we're not of the darkness, but he says also we're not in the darkness, right? So it's possible that you can be not of the darkness, but still be living in darkness, right? Because you've not allowed the word of God to walk you through a maturation process so that you can can grow in your faith and you can discern the truth. It requires that, that salvation is a birth experience, then I need to grow. And I need to mature as a believer in Jesus Christ. And so it's possible that I cannot be of the darkness, but I can still be living in the darkness. When Paul is talking about the gifts that, that are given to the church for the, prop, for the purpose of maturing the church, he, he talks about that in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, I say therefore, in verse number 17, and testify unto the Lord, that he henceforth not walk as other Gentiles in the vanity of your mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because, they, because of the blindness of their heart. Who, being past feeling, uh, have, thems- have given themselves over to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. He, he, Paul's saying these gifts have been given to the church for, for the maturing of the church. For, for the growth process of the church. And, and he says that they've been given so that we wouldn't be like the other Gentiles, so that we wouldn't continue to walk in darkness, right? We've been called out of that. We've been called out of darkness to walk in the light, to, to allow that light to transform how we live. Peter, when he's explaining the, the process of spiritual development, right? In 2 Peter chapter 1, and he's walking through those seven things to add to our faith. Hey, when he gets to the end of it, he says, if, the, if you lack these things, then you're blind. And you can't see afar off. I mean, even though we've been brought out of darkness, it's possible that even as believers in Jesus Christ, because we've not grown up and matured in the, the Word of God, we, we still don't see. And, and so it's, it's critical for us as believers. We, we have this incredible opportunity to, to know what time it is, to know where we are in time, and to be able to see in the darkness through the light of the Word of God, Like I said, this this book is like night vision goggles, man. You can discern what's going on around you. You can can look at the the events and the times and the things that are happening, and and through the power of the word of God, we can know what's taking place. We can know. can, Can I be so bold as to say we have that we have the answer to the question when? We may not know the day and the hour, but we certainly know the times and the seasons. And may I be so bold as to say, the trouble isn't that we don't know it, it's that we don't believe it. We we know some things, we just don't believe them so much so that it affects how we live. And, and I would say over the next couple of days, what really matters is us coming to the place that we believe where we are in time. So much so that it affects how we live. You know, it's... If you were out early this morning, the sun rose by the clock a little later today than it did yesterday, right? But you know, if you were out there in that frigid weather, and from Alabama, it is frigid, man, I'm telling you why. I was riding my motorcycle on Friday at 70 degrees and sunny. I'm not doing that up here, unless you're a real man, which I am not. (laughs) If you were out about dawn this morning, you you didn't have to be a, a real outdoorsy guy to think You know what? The sun's coming up. I see changes around me that are indicative to me that the sun's coming. You may not not know exactly what time the sunrise was, but you could tell when it was getting close. If if you're expecting a child, you may not know the precise day and the hour that that baby's going to be born, but I guarantee you know when it's getting close. Nobody needs to come along and say, hey... When's that baby do, You know, <laughs> you know, you know it's coming. You know it's coming close, and, and 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 so it's the question of the ages, right? The apostles in Acts chapter one, they they asked Jesus, "Will thou at this time restore the kingdom?" The, the church at Thessalonica wanted to know. Jesus, when he was on the Mount of Olives with his disciples, right, and and they've asked him about all that's going to take place. When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of that coming and the end of the world? Right. They they wanted to know. They longed to know. And and in that instance, what Jesus does is he he begins to tell them this parable of the fig tree, right? And, and I want to just take us for a minute and, and give us this quick illustration and, and hopefully close it out where that maybe today we could see that we are indeed living in the times of the seasons of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we are right on the jumping off point. It could happen at just any time. And so as that relates to what we're talking about over the next couple of days, we, we just got a minute left. And we need to get intentional about what we're doing. There's no more time to waste. There's no more time to think about it or consider it. We, we need to change our value systems to align with the value systems of our God. We need to not just know these things. We need to believe them. So much so that we live them. Jesus tells his disciples in answer to their question. Learn the parable of the fig tree. When his branch was yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the door. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass, till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of the day and the hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels in heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And, you know, and, and a lot of times people go to that that text and they say, "See, nobody knows the day or the hour." And, and I'm not going to argue with that. Although he was speaking to a specific group of people at a specific time. But 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 he he's giving them answers to their questions, and and I don't have time to develop all of this, and 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 I suspect that I probably don't need to in a church like this, but. When Jesus speaks of the the fig tree, he's speaking of the nation of Israel. They're a type of, of, if you go to Luke chapter 13, they're they're a type, they're they're typified by the fig tree. The political life of Israel is typified by the fig tree. And and he says, when you see that that fig tree begin to, to put forth leaves, you should know that the generation that sees that, the generation that's around, when that happens, will not pass till all these things be fulfilled. He's talking about Israel, the political nation, coming back to life. And, and most of us know that they did that in 1948. Israel became a nation again in 1948. And, and what I believe with all my heart that the Bible is teaching us is that the day of the Lord will, will come before the generation that saw Israel become a nation again passes away. That's, that's what the Bible said. That's, that's what he just said. And, and so, so then we begin, we want to question, well, how long's a generation, right? Uh, how, how long do I have? And so, you know, maybe we would go to Matthew and we see that it's 42 years. Well, then he would have come in 1990. That's why you had all those books around 1990, right? They were talking about the coming of the Lord. And so then there's Psalm 90. Maybe it's 70 years that he says that the days of a man's life is 70 years, but then that would have been 2018. So maybe it's 80 years. Well, that'd be 2028. But if you take the, if it's a seven-year tribulation, you know, maybe you go to Genesis 15 where it's 100 years. It, God didn't lock himself down for a time of a generation. But, but I would want to submit to you today that it's possible, and, and he's done this in before, there's a, there's a precedent for the fact that God would take an individual life and he would say that life, before that life is over, these events are going to transpire. And it happens back in the book of Genesis, and it happens to happen with a man I mentioned a moment ago, a man named Enoch a man who is a type of you and I who are alive in the 21st century just at the time of the rapture of the church. God chooses. Listen, there is no other anti-type than us for Enoch. There's not another one in the Bible. He's the only guy in in, in 6,000 years of human history who didn't die and will never die. And God chose, that, that guy who typifies you and us, he chose to reveal to him The coming of his judgment and the timing of the coming of his judgment and he did that through the birth of a son a son named Methuselah most of us are familiar with the story and so God says to Enoch you're going to have a son and I want you to name this son Methuselah And and that name means when when he is gone judgment will come when he is dead it will be sent and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that he's talking about the judgment of the flood Because if you just do a little math, the Bible doesn't say it directly, but if you do a little bit of math, you find Methuselah dies and the flood comes. Right? Uh, The evidence is undeniable. God chose to tell a man named Enoch, he's a type of us, that his judgment was coming. And what impact did that have on Enoch's life? The Bible says Enoch walked with God. (laughs) You see... Can I lovingly say the difference between Enoch and us is he believed God. He believed God. And he believed God for a lot longer than most of us are going to have to. He walked with God for 300 years. Now obviously, Methuselah's life, 969 years, he, he lived for a long time. And that speaks of the long suffering of God. But, but, but lifespans obviously were a lot longer then. And what I would say to us today is is what we have going on in our lives is a very similar experience to what happened with Enoch. God warned him through the birth of a son. God warned us through the birth of a nation. Methuselah has been born. Israel has been born as a nation. It's 74 years old soon. In May, Israel will be 74 years old. What that tells us today, we live in the times and the seasons. We're, we're, We're right on top of it. I don't know the day or the hour, but I do know this. I know it's soon. It's really soon. And maybe God, by the long suffering, will, will let that generation live a little longer, just like he did with Methuselah, 969 years. The, the next closest to him, I think, was 962 years, I think. I believe that's right. He, he lived a little longer, and the generation went a little longer. But, and maybe God will allow that, but, but the time is here. It's right upon us. And what we should allow to happen to us today is is that we would begin to walk with God. And hear me today, what Amos tells us is for two to walk together, they have to be agreed. And I'll promise you today that God didn't come around to Enoch's way of thinking. Enoch came around to God's way of thinking. God didn't change his priorities to align with Enoch's priorities. Enoch changed his priorities to align with God's priorities. God didn't change his passion. To align with Enoch's passion, Enoch changed his passion to align with God's passion. He changed how he lived. In fact, the book of Jude tells us, not only did he change how he lived, but he changed what he said. Enoch, Jude 14 to 15, and Enoch also the seventh man had prophesied of these things. Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. I mean, God's revealed some incredible things to Enoch, and he's out, he's out, preaching that message, he's prophesying of those things to execute judgment upon all, to convince all that are ungodly among them of their, all their ungodly deeds and, and that they have ungodly committed. He, he's preaching the truth. He's warning the sinners. He's getting the message out. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that, that because of our, here chapter 11, I'm, can you tell I'm getting in a hurry here? I'm watching the clock. Hebrews chapter 11, he's in the hall of fame. And what it says is that God translated him. He didn't see death. He was not. Why? Because God translated him. And before he translated him, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Man, don't you want that testimony? Don't you want want the testimony that you pleased God? What happened in Enoch's life? What happened in Enoch's life was God sent him a message through the birth of a son. God said, name that boy Methuselah. Because when he's gone, judgment's coming. And Enoch said, I believe you, God. and Because I believe you, I'm going to change how I live. 1948, God sent us a message. You don't even have to believe it by faith. You you can see it. You can go visit them. (laughs) There they are. It's a nation today. Greatest miracle in human history, I would argue. That a people after 2,000 years... Of not having a homeland or reunited as a a people, as a nation. And God said that's a message. That's a message to you and I. He revealed it in his word in Matthew 24. That's a message to us. And and our response to that message should be to walk with God. To align our thoughts with God's thoughts. Our priorities with his priorities. Our passions with his passions. And, And a very practical way to do that is in that piece of paper that was in your notes today what what would god let me do for the cause of world evangelization over the next year i mean would i do something different if i knew he was coming would it change how i gave to the cause of world evangelization i argue that it would and what I'm saying to us today is if we believe the word of God, we know he's coming. And we know he's coming soon. And if it's not this year, then then the next. I don't know the day or the hour, but I know we live in the times and the seasons. And it's time. It's time that we got serious about the mission. Because there's not much time left. Father, we love you. We love your word. We love your truth. We love that you have taken us out of the kingdom of darkness and you've delivered us into the kingdom of your dear son, that you've brought us out of the darkness and into the light, that we no longer are of darkness, but we're of light, and we're grateful for that today. We thank you. Father, we don't want to be people who who disregard what you've done for us. We don't want to be people who have an evil heart, as you said of the Hebrews, who who had an evil heart of unbelief. We want to believe you. Father, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would take your words and you would transform us. Father, I pray that we would we would so believe you that we would begin to walk with you in, in such a way that your passion would be our passion. Your priority would be our priority. That, that, Father, we would be serious about reaching this world with the message of the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, that we would, would take that step forward, as Jeff said just a moment ago. That we would, would take a step forward in what we're doing. That we would do more for you now than we've ever done before because we recognize our time is so brief. It's so short. Our opportunity is now. Help us to be obedient to you in what we do. I pray in Christ's name. Would you stand with me? We're going to give you the opportunity as the praise team leads us in worship to respond to what God might be saying to you. You might want to come and pray. That's cool. You might want to pray where you're seated, where you're in your seat today. That would be awesome too. But let me just say this. Don't ignore God. Don't ignore God. You can forget about me, but don't ignore God. When he speaks into your life, let let it move you. Respond to him and what he would have you to do today.